Welcome to room 4216. I'm so glad you've come. Hello everyone. It's Cecilia, but uh Pastor Dave's not here yet. Hmm. When is he going to show up, I wonder? Dum dee dum 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 oh, dum dum Oh, there you are. Hi. You seem very happy today. Oh, I am. Do you know, in church the other day, there was this little boy sitting there, and as the uh, the uh, offering plate was being passed, the little boy jumped up and said, Daddy, Daddy, you don't have to pay. I'm under five. Oh, and okay. There was an, an another time in church that uh, uh, um, the pastor was going on and on and on and on and on. You mean sometimes like you do? And, and so the little girl leaned over to mom and said, "Mommy, if we give him the money now, will he let us go?" <sighs> okay then. One boy uh, asked his cousin, "Hey." Do you know how many times uh, a, a guy can can get married to 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 to, to, to a, a different woman? And the cousin said, "I don't know." And the little boy said, "Sixteen." Sixteen. Yeah, sixteen. Sixteen wives. Yeah, four better, four worse, <sighs> four richer, four poorer. Oh, Pastor Dave, that's awful. <laughs> and Sunday school, the teacher said, Do you ever pray before dinner? And Johnny again popped up and said, Nope, my mom's a good cook. <laughs> Same teacher later that day said, I'd like you to draw a picture of your favorite Bible story. And so Johnny just quickly worked and, and then showed the teacher it was an airplane with four people on it. An airplane. Mm-hmm. All right. And the teacher said, oh, what's this? And the boy said, it's the flight to Egypt. <sighs> well, okay, there's Mary, Joseph, and the baby, but who's the fourth person, the teacher said. Oh, well, that's easy. That's Pontius, the pilot. <laughs> I love it. Okay, then. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a great mood. I can tell. Yeah. Genesis chapter 9 Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon the beast of the earth and all the birds of the air upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants. I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. And from each man, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. 
Hmm. Hmm. That is interesting. What's interesting? Well, in in chapter 9 here, God blessed Noah and his sons. And what did he say to them? Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Fruitful, increase, fill the earth. Keep going. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air. That's one thing. Okay, so fear is going to fall upon them. Okay. Upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Okay, God gave it to them. Mm -hmm. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Uh Uh-huh. Just as I gave you every green plant. Okay, with that now, and he's just... Now, this sounds hauntingly familiar, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Go back to chapter 1. God gave a blessing to Adam and Eve. I I think it's verse 27. Start at 27. Okay. Um, So God created man in his own image. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Go ahead and read this. This is important. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Mm -hmm. God blessed them and said to them... This This is the parallel, okay? Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth... And subdue it. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I was just about to say, that sounds familiar. Uh-huh. Fruitful increase. In number. F- number. Fill, fill it. the earth. But then it says subdue, subdue it. it. Okay, mm-hmm. keep going. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Yeah. And over every living creature that moves on the ground. Here's the difference. Back then with Adam and Eve increase, fill the earth, multiply, but then subdue and rule. Mm -hmm. Where with Noah, God said, they will have dread and fear of you. Mm. Basically, they're going to run away from you. And In one of the readings I did, uh, it was an interesting comment that somebody made was, that was so that they would not uh, destroy humanity. Interesting. Okay, it was destroyed by a flood. God didn't want humanity to be destroyed by the animals. He wanted to make sure humanity remained. And why? Because he created man, not the animals, but man in his own image. So many people have said that it's man's fault that animals fear us. Mm. But no, it's God's doing. Yes, to protect both mankind and and the animals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is a similar beginning, but it is different. And and the difference is, of course, uh, Adam and Eve's uh, subdue it and rule it was before the fall. Mm -hmm. God realized now, because of sin, they cannot do that anymore. He just wants them to survive and exist in the same world together. And then God adds, okay, now, Noah, you can have not just the seed-bearing, because you repeated that, but also now animals for food. Yeah, because in verse 29 it says, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, Mm -hmm. and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mention the animals No, it doesn't. But it does in chapter Mm 9. It does. Now, there could be a couple basic reasons for this. One, I mean, even though things were growing, uh, the world just received this major flood. There might be a shortage of food supply. 
Hmm. That's what one commentary suggests. Um, I, I want to think, and I don't know, another possibility, I shouldn't say I want to think, another possibility is because now sin is part of the world, death is a part of the world, mm-hmm. and that includes that of animals. But now, if you remember, and you don't have to read this in chapter 9, God said you may have uh, the life of every animal, but not with the lifeblood. Blood was extremely important to um, the, the, the Old Testament and, and really up until recent when we have blood transfusions. We just see this as the thing that pumps through our bodies now. But to right. them and, and, and to, to, to the people back then, it would be, okay, if I, if I zap you of all your blood, I drain it out, what happens? You're dead. Yeah. So blood is equal to life. If you have blood and it's moving, you have life. But if I take your blood... You've taken my life. I've taken your life. And so God is guarding and protecting this whole concept. And that will become important throughout the Old Testament. And I'll admit, admit right away, it also comes into play with uh, the Lord's Supper, Holy mm-hmm. Communion. Uh, we talk about it where Jesus said, Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. blood. This is my life. I'm giving it to you. And so with the wine, he gave him his very life. And when we talk about Jesus pouring out his life, pouring out his blood, they're equated together. This was very much a, a concept they had uh, in, in their understanding of life. And so that's why God said, don't eat meat with the lifeblood still in it. On a more technical basis very basic basis, the blood could also transmit more diseases, could it not? Yeah, it could. But there's also a whole tribe in Africa that that's all they do is drink blood. That's their their total existence. Uh Uh-huh. So um, you can't just say that and say that's why God did it. Because otherwise this tribe would have been gone for, you know, a long time ago. Um, I think it's more of the symbolic Mm. and the reality. Not just symbolism of life, but the reality Blood is life. Blood is life. But there's one other amazing thing that God did here in this talk of chapter 9. He said, if your blood is taken, it will be required of someone else. If your blood is shed, it will be shed. He set up the whole thing of justice. We read of a couple deaths prior to this. Cain and Abel. Mm -hmm. And then there was someone else that... uh, Oh, one of the Lemex killed um, and was and, almost bragging about it. Yes, exactly. And there was no justice done at that point necessarily. And or, if revenge would have been taken, there was nothing done about it. Now God is setting up a justice system that he knew there would be death coming. Mm-hmm. And therefore, he set something in place to protect life because life is a precious gift of God and we shouldn't take it lightly whether it be ours or someone else's and all of that plays into the fact then that the son of God gave his life in our place though his life was innocent and shouldn't have been taken, it was in our place, so that we might be forgiven. 
Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, and those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. This is the sign of the covenant I am making between you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between you and me and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind on the earth. your problem well the rainbow Mm -hmm. it's it's a wonderful thing Mm -hmm. but no offense to god but it means nothing to me (laughs) why did it have to be something visible Mm. i mean why couldn't god have made a covenant with noah and and with every living creature that was something touchable i mean the water was touchable certainly but the rainbow Albeit it came out of the rain clouds, it it's not anything that means anything to a lot of us. Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, first thing that comes to my mind is it was the rain clouds that brought the destruction. And so God wanted to put something instead of destruction to change it into a promise of no destruction. And so he used the very same thing that brought the destruction to give the promise. And up until then, some people think there might not have been rain on the earth, that it just may have been covered with a a misty cloud the entire earth. And so when rain Mm -hmm. come, that was a frightening thing. And if that were the case, then there wouldn't have been breaks in clouds. And you need the kind of a break in a cloud to see the edge of it to see a rainbow. So this would not have been seen prior to this. And so it was a great sign and symbol using that which brought destruction to bring the promise. Second, this really is more for God. A rainbow is at the top of a cloud as the sun hits it. I didn't know that. Yeah. And that, um, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's my understanding. And so it's a reminder, in a sense, to God. He looks down, he sees it, oh, I will not destroy it. And he even says, and I, this is my covenant, I will not destroy the earth. I will remember them. But, but God is God. God mm-hmm. doesn't need to be reminded. Ah, uh, indeed. But we as human beings do. 
And so God gave it. We're going to find, this is an interesting thing, we're going to pick up on this, maybe even in our next lesson, the whole lesson we could probably do, and maybe we should, the anthropomorphism of God. You want to repeat that word? No, because I barely got it out. Anthropomorphism. Yeah, that's a Greek word for man, and it's the making, uh, manizing. God, uh, it's, it's giving characteristics of a man to God. Hmm. God technically is a spirit. Yes. He is, uh, at this point, he does not have a body. No. But yet he needs to relate and communicate to us. And so how does he do that? By giving us things that we can connect to. So he says he sees, he remembers. It's at his right hand. That when, is why Jesus became man. That's right. And until then, he had no flesh and blood. And so these were anthropomorphisms. That God was taking on the image or shape of a man, though he was not flesh and blood. But this becomes significant in, in throughout our theology. And here's the first one, that God will see and be reminded. That's an anthropomorphism. Just like I have a wedding ring on my finger, and that reminds me I made a promise. Actually, the ring I have is what my wife gave me, and so it's a reminder of the promise she gave me that she will always ah. be faithful to me. And she has one on her hand that is uh, the promise and a reminder to her that I will be faithful to her. Her, and she will always be reminded when she sees that. That's one thought that crosses my mind. Second, um, Noah was sighted. We know that. Right. So it, this was for Noah first, not for you and me. So it's okay that it be for a sighted person because Noah was sighted. Hey. Eh? Uh, I don't quite like that as well, but okay. Mm -hmm. Well, um, don't make the world evolve around you there, sweetheart. <laughs> And third, um, it's really a promise to creation and humanity. And as part of humanity, you can share with others the understanding of what that is. Reminds me of a song. What do I answer in return? There is so much to learn. Wish everyone could be. Everlasting harmony of colors around us every Not only do I love that song by Laurel Jean, who is totally blind, who gives us a keen insight to something very, very special of humanity. We are not individuals. We are a collective. And that's how God sees us. There's great variety in the collective. Some of us can see, some of us can't. But together, we have the promise. And that's how God sees it. <laughs>
Mr. Dave, mm-hmm. having been blind since birth, and uh, I, I know that there are some other listeners out there that are in the same boat as I am. A boat? Mm-hmm. It's in that boat floating on the water. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to that image in a minute. Tell me. Might have been the ark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Might have been. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what does a rainbow look like? Before I answer that, what have you been told? I've been told that it's kind of like an arch, sort of, that it starts out as red. Mm-hmm. I memorized this in science class. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Yeah, and that stands for? Roy G. Biv. Yep, R-O-Y. Yeah, yeah. And that it's like bands of color that go mm-hmm. from kind of like uphill and then kind of curve and then go downhill again, like mm-hmm. the arch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of curves around. Um, and there's two reasons for that. One is uh, all those different colors are different lengths of the light spectrum. And that means, and that's why they're different colors, and that's why it's in an arch, because they're different lengths. And so it makes the curve. But secondly, it, it describes what light really is. Multiple colors into one, and that's why it's white. But when it's broken into its separate parts, it's multiple colors. And for those who have never seen, I think the best way to describe it is a full orchestra. You've got the mm-hmm. bass, then you've got the cello, mm-hmm. and then you've got the, the viola, maybe, and then you've got the, the violin, and and together they sound perfect, like they're all together. And the same you can do then with the the woodwinds mm-hmm. and the brass, and and so there, there's there's a spectrum of sound from low to high. And, and and when it's all together, it's one beautiful oh, sound. Yeah. Just like the light is one beautiful thing, but when it's broken apart, you can see it's different parts. That's a perfect description of also then people. We all are different, and we have variety. And uh, um, when we're all together, working together, it's one beautiful thing. And that's the description, really, of the church, working mm-hmm. together, God's people. But yet, if seen separately, you can see the individuality as well. I think that's really the best way I can describe a rainbow. But there's one last thing about this whole rainbow and covenant. What's that? A rainbow means there are clouds. Clouds mean there is the potential for rain. And oh, there was rain in Noah's day. So much there was a flood. And there's a Bible verse in the New Testament that talks about the flood, along with a promise, just like the rainbow is a covenant or a promise. So see, I'd like you to read that. It's uh, uh, 1 Peter Chapter 3, verses 18 and following. Sure, no problem. For Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 
He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think you can probably catch the connection already. Um, I'll point out a couple things. First it says, uh, Jesus, the righteous for the unrighteous. And why did God send the flood? Because no one was righteous. Only one found favor, and that was Noah. And then, of course, his family followed with him. And so Jesus was willing to die the righteous for the unrighteous. And why did he descend to hell? But to show that he was victorious and to bring those who trusted in him out. And so the flood symbolizes baptism. Do note, it didn't say it the other way around. Baptism symbolizes the flood. But the flood symbolizes baptism, what God would do in baptism. In baptism, just as the people were drowned and died, but eight were saved, so through baptism, and we'll, hey, you know, maybe we should do this a little bit, talk a little bit more about baptism, but not today. In baptism, something's drowned. Yeah, our old nature. And we are saved. Saved by the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, we wouldn't be alive either. But because he did rise, we are alive spiritually. And so that is the promise, the covenant God has made that as we trust in Jesus, when we are baptized, we are drowned in those waters and we are resurrected, given new life in Jesus. We welcome your feedback and comments. Please write to us at info, I-N-F-O, at not-alone, N-O-T, dash A-L-O-N-E, dot net. You can also catch earlier episodes of Room 4216 by going to net. And as God constantly reminds us, We are not alone. Credits. Laurel Jean, Vision Through Your Eyes, from the album Vision Through Your Eyes. Interlude musicians, Terry Nord and Robert Vaughn.